How many, uh, how many of you would describe yourselves as the adventurous type? Any, any adventurous people? Okay, okay. People who like to try new places, visit the world, people who like to try new activities, uh, people who uh, enjoy trying new foods, right? Those people are the adventurous ones. I'm not the most adventurous person. I like trying new foods. Um, I'm not a world traveler at all. I'm pretty content to be in the area that I am. I'm a homebody. Uh, but when I was in college, I did have the opportunity uh, to do a cross-cultural trip. They, they did give me the option and say, hey, for one of your classes, you can go three weeks to another country uh, and, and you can get credit and you can learn what it's like. And I thought, all right, well, this, this seems pretty safe. Somebody will pretty much hold my hand through the process. I'll get some, some class credits. Uh, so there was a lot of different options, uh, but I decided I want to try somewhere really different. So I passed up Ireland. I passed up Costa Rica. I passed up Brazil. And I thought, I know where I want to go. They had a trip going to the African country of Zimbabwe. And I thought, Nobody ever looks at their vacation and say, that's the place that I want to try to go to. And I thought, I will never in my life go to a place like this on my own. So let me take advantage of this opportunity. It was a wonderful time. I got to see the country. We spent time with the locals. Uh, we saw some of the tourist places. Uh, but it really, it really was a, a good experience for me to, to step out, to see that, and to really enjoy and appreciate that. Well, one of the things that we got to do was we got a chance to go to a five-star restaurant in Zimbabwe. So when I say five-star, it's certainly nothing compared to probably what we expect. But it was very nice. It was very well decorated, you know, the good, good service. Uh, and of course, they brought out all of this wonderful food for us. So I had a chance to eat crocodile. I had a chance to eat uh, kudu, which is a form of gazelle. Uh, wild boar, that was probably my favorite. Uh, water buffalo. So pretty much any animal that was there, they pretty much found a way to turn it into a meal. Now, the real treat of all of this was they saved at the very end, they brought out the Mupani worm. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna show you a picture and I won't leave it up there very long because I don't wanna make you sick. Um, but but this, this Mupani worm uh, is, is actually a, a favorite down there. Uh, it's actually so, so popular there that they literally bag it up almost like a bag of chips. So it would be like if I went into Wawa, I could be like, oh, there's the Mupani worms and grab it like a bag. Like that's the way that they have it. So they eat it like a snack. They eat it as part of a meal. Um, but, but that was the real excitement because then it was like, well, who's actually going to eat this or not? And so, you know, there's, everybody's like laughing and, and all of this. And, and typically the way they cook it though, it's pretty charred, pretty good on the outside. Uh, and I thought, well, you know what? I made it this far. Let's just, let's just dive all the way in. Uh, and I, 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 I ate that thing. And it was crunchy on the outside and it had a squirt of juice in the middle. <laughs> oh. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, here's what I learned. That was disgusting and I did not eat another one. 
And the reason I start with that is because if I would have just listened to the scriptures, I would have realized that was an unclean animal for a reason, and I should have just stayed away from it. So, uh, so, so that's my adventurous story uh, of what I did. But I, I start with that because, again, as we've been working through the book of Leviticus, we talked about this idea of holiness, right? What did they have to do ritually to, to become holy uh, and then live that out and to remind themselves of that? And then what about the idea of the priesthood, right? What did they have to go to as they stood as the, in the gap as the mediators between us and God and, and, and offered sacrifices uh, on our behalf so, again, we could come into the presence of God? So over the next couple of weeks, we're now talking about the purity, right? So, so we've been made holy, but now we have to live out of that. We have to have pure hearts and pure lives as we go through. So we're talking about what does it mean to be clean versus unclean. So we're going to be in a Leviticus chapter 11 today. And really Leviticus chapter 11 could be part of the wider sphere of, of 11 through 15. But because of the unique nature of Leviticus 11, I really wanted to address it kind of on its own. And it does have a little bit of a difference between 12 through 15. Um, but but Levit Leviticus 11 talks about these clean and unclean animals. And it's kind of one of those things in the scriptures that you know we kind of learn about, but we don't really do a deep dive in. And it always just kind of lingers out there as this piece of biblical information that we really don't dive any further. And so I really want to get to the heart of what is God doing with this passage and in this scripture. So same thing as I've been doing. Again, I'm going to walk through some general verses and then kind of get to, again, what is God trying to communicate to us? Now, in verse Verses 1 and 2, the Lord tells Moses to tell Aaron, he says, of all of the animals that live on land, these are the ones that you may eat. And then he goes on and he pretty much says the same thing in verse 9 about the, the fish and the, water, and the animals in the water. Uh, verse 13, the birds in the sky. And then 20 and 41, he deals a little bit with some of the insects. Uh, but again, he's saying the same thing. He says, look, here are the rules that exist of what you can eat and what you are not allowed to eat. Uh, and so he's going to cover every animal in existence. And just to lay out, just very basic, very general, uh, in terms of the land animals, he pretty much gave this rule. He said it has to have a split hoof and it has to chew its cud. Okay, that, that's pretty much it. If it split hoofs and chews its cud, then it's okay to eat. So things like lamb, deer, cow, those are okay. Camels, rabbits, pigs are a no-no. Um, and, and if an animal has a split hoof, but it doesn't chew its cud or vice versa, that's not, that's not acceptable. It has to do both of those things in order for that animal to be declared clean. In terms of the, the animals in the water, anything that had fish and scales, it was okay to eat. So things like trout, salmon, tuna, that's okay. Bottom dwellers, things like eel, catfish, not allowed to do. Uh, shellfish, so things like lobster, crab, you know, sorry guys, anybody that loves their seafood, right? You had to stay away from, from that stuff. Now, for the birds, he doesn't actually give any explanation. He just says, here are the birds that you can eat. And he says things like eagles and various different types of owls. And essentially, all of that list refers to any type of bird that's really more of a predator or a scavenger, like a vulture, uh, those would be off limits. So again, he doesn't give any specific rules. He just lays out a list of birds that you can and can't eat. 
And then for the insects, pretty much every insect is, is off limits, uh, except he says those that have, are wing creatures that have jointed legs for hopping. So crickets, uh, locust, grasshopper, you could eat those insects. But any other insect, right? So the mupani worm, that would have been off limits. I should not have eaten that if I would have listened to God. Okay. Now, he doesn't stop there, though. He doesn't say you, you, it's not that you just can't eat it. He, he goes a little bit further now. Okay, in verses 24 to 25, he says, You will make yourselves unclean by these. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean till evening. Whoever picks up one of their carcasses must wash their clothes, and they will be unclean until the evening. So it's not that I just can't eat it, but, but if one of these animals dies and I touch it, I basically have to go and wash myself and wash my clothes, and then I'm unclean until the evening, which means I can't really fellowship with anyone, I can't go near the tabernacle, I can't make sacrifices or offerings, right? I have to wait until that time has passed, and then God says, okay, now you can re-engage these different parts. Okay, so don't eat it, don't touch it. Now he goes a little bit further with this as well. Verse 32. He says, when one of them dies and falls on something, that article, whatever it is, will be unclean. Whether it's made of wood, cloth, hide, or sackcloth, put it in water and it will be unclean till evening. And then it will be clean. If one of them falls on a clay pot, everything in it will be unclean and you must break the pot. Any food you are allowed to eat that has come into contact with the water from such pot is unclean. And any liquid that is drunk from such a pot is unclean. Anything that one of these carcasses falls on becomes unclean. An oven or a cooking pot must be broken up. They are unclean and you are to regard them as unclean. So it's not just an animal dies, but, it, but if an animal falls like on my bag, now my bag is unclean. So now I have to take my bag out and I have to wash my bag and I can't use that bag until the evening. Or if I've got a tool that I, I would be using, right? Like, like it falls on my hammer. I, I'd have to go wash the hammer and I set it aside and until the evening, I can't use that hammer again until God has deemed it to be unclean, right? So it's not usable. Now, if you have a clay pot, you pretty much have to break it because one of the thoughts is that clay may absorb some of the uncleanliness from that animal. So if you wash or, or, or drink from it or, or eat food out of it, the thought is, is that contamination is now going to be in whatever it is that you've just cooked and it's going to contaminate you. So the best thing to do is just destroy that clay pot and get rid of it altogether. Okay? So he goes a little bit further, but it, at least this time he's not being overly strict. God's going to be a little bit gracious. And he says, you know, if something falls onto a spring or a cistern, he says a spring, however, or a cistern for collecting water remains clean. But anyone who touches these carcasses is unclean. And if a carcass falls on any seeds that are to be planted, they remain clean. But if water has been put on the seed and a carcass falls on it, it is unclean for you. So he says, look, if an animal dies in a cistern or a spring, I'm going to let that go because you're going to need to survive somehow. I can't take away water from you. So I'll let that go. However, if it falls on some seed, as long as no water got on it, it's okay. You can plant it because the thought is that plant will eventually break through the seed and it won't be a problem. 
But if water gets on it, then what we're fearing is, is that water somehow will kind of like encase that seed and penetrate into the actual plant itself and going to make it unclean. So these are some of the rules that God lays out about what you're supposed to do with these animals. Now, the big question, again, is always, what's the rationale? Why is God limiting these animals and these rules about dead animals falling on certain stuff? Now, let me just give you a couple different scholarly views of what this is. Uh, first off, there's the symbolic view. Uh, the idea was is that you wanted to eat land animals that chewed their own cud because as they chewed, it was like they were meditating on God. So that's why those animals were okay. Well, that really doesn't make a lot of sense for any of the other animals. It only pertains to land animals. So, so why would, would that be a fact? The aesthetic view that whatever we ate on a plate might actually look appealing to us. Now, that's very subjective. And let's be honest, when we're starving, a lot of times anything looks pretty good, doesn't it? So that really doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, the morphological view uh, was the idea that anything that had a normal method of locomotion or dietary habit, then it was okay to eat. Well, how do we define normal, right? If God made all of the creatures in the entire world, are, are we saying that God made some acceptable normal ones and some unusual ones? So again, that, that really doesn't seem to fit a whole lot as well. A theological view uh, was that many of the animals that were unclean were because they were associated with the pagan cultures and world around them uh, in terms of their various forms of worship. Now, I think that's a little bit more understandable. That probably makes a little bit more sense. But even that can have some issues in itself because let's just take the bull. The bull was a popular animal in Babylon and in Egypt, but God thought that was an acceptable animal to sacrifice, especially for the priesthood. So again, if God was trying to say, don't use any of those animals, why is then God allowing this to be part of his process? Now, the one that probably makes the most sense is the issue of hygiene. That, again, this is probably not like an ironclad, like this fits everyone. But again, if we're trying to make sense of this, what we find is most of these animals that are unclean are animals that tend to drag themselves through the dirt or, or tend to eat something that would have also been eating other animals, just again, like the scavengers, right? So essentially, the animals that were unclean are the animals that would have been more likely to have contained disease than the animals that were clean. Now, again, I think that makes the most sense. Uh, I'm not going to say that certainly holds for every principle, though. And we also have to think about it like this, that if God was so concerned about the Israelites' hygiene, why is it that when Christ comes, we're no longer concerned about the health of God's people? It's not like all of a sudden they learned to do a better process with the food. It's not like the Food and Drug Administration showed up and said, well, these animals have good nutritional value. I've made sure that it's gone through a rigorous process of, of being washed and cleaned, and now it's acceptable. So again, I'm not sure any of these answers are necessarily the perfect way to think about it. So if, if that's the case, then again, why is God having this? What are, we, what are we to do with this information? Well, let's go to verses 44 here. So all 1 through 43 is all of the rules that God lays out. And then God's going to say, 
Here's my rationale. Verse 44. He says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves about on the ground. I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God and therefore be holy because I am holy. These are the regulations concerning animals, birds, and every living thing that moves in the water and every creature that moves about on the ground. You must distinguish between the unclean and the clean, between living creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. So again, he gives all of these prohibitions. And then he says, you want the reason why? Here's the reason why. You can't do it because I am the Lord your God. That's why you can't do it. I'm the Lord, I'm creator, and I'm the sustainer of your life. So if you want a reason, your reason is this, because I said don't eat it. Now, this is not the first time that God has given a command like this, right? We can go back to, to the garden in Genesis 2. And the Lord God called, commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So he gives Adam and Eve this command. He says, look, don't, don't eat of this. He doesn't give them a reason except for the consequence. All he says is, don't eat it, and I told you not to, and that's what you are to do, and you are to obey that command. So what this becomes for us, again, is one of these decision moments. What do we do? Do, do I obey God, or do I disobey God? Do I accept his absolute standard, even though I may not have any sense or rationale as to why God wants me to do it, other than the fact God said, don't do it. And I think for a lot of us, we can be in those predicaments in life where something's going on and we go, God, why? God, I don't understand. God, please help me understand. And God doesn't give us an answer. And all we're left is, I am the Lord, your God. You know, so many times what we do is we tell God, we say, look, God, you want me to follow you, but I'm not going to follow you until you give me the reason. God, you, you prove to me why I should be following you. I, I, I want all of the information. I want to know all of the facts before I make a decision whether you are worth my time or not, God. Let me just remind us about the relationship that exists with God. God created us and God does not need us. But we certainly need God. And I pray that if you don't understand that, that God would reveal that to you in this world. Because the moment that you die, you are going to realize more than ever that you needed God in your life. So he says, I'm the Lord. And then he gives a command. And he says, be holy. You're going to do this because I said so. Because this is an act of holiness. And that's my command to you, is to be holy because I am holy. And in case you forgot, just a reminder that I am the God, I am the God, I am your God who brought you up out of Egypt, who brought you out of slavery, who had you walk across the Red Sea and into the promised land. 
So when I say don't eat these animals and be clean, that's what I mean. I'm a God of holiness. And so in verse 46 and 47... He says, these are the regulations of clean versus unclean. I've given you the rules. Now you need to decide, are you going to eat? Or are you going to not eat? So this is a chance for them to either obey and heed God's laws or defy them. It's an opportunity for them to demonstrate their desire to want to be in obedience to the God who loved them and saved them. And we also have to remember that, again, part of what God is trying to do is he's, he's building his people to be set apart. And he says, look, the reason why I don't want you to eat is because I want you to, to separate yourselves from all of these other nations around you. That, that by the way that you act, the things that you do, the, the world over here is going to understand that I am your God and they are going to look at you and be drawn to you and be drawn to me because of the way that you act differently from the rest of the world. And in this case, it's a matter of what you're going to be eating or not eating. Because let's be honest, one of the best ways to have fellowship is food, right? There is nothing better that draws people together than sitting down with one another and eating. And so God is setting up a natural barrier where he says, when you come in contact with these people and they're all eating these kinds of food, you now have to look and say, I'm sorry, but my God has told me I can't have that. And so it's a separation that God's trying to impress. Are we going to think and act like the world around us? Are we going to think and act the way that God would desire for us. So the dietary laws are two things. One, it's a chance again to prove their obedience to a holy God that says, I want a relationship with you. And because you've told me to do it, I'm going to obey. And the second thing is it's an opportunity to set his people apart from everyone else in the world so that that world can look at the Israelites and know the one true God. So where does that leave us? Well, we're in the same spot, right? You know, we're not, we're not bound to the dietary laws anymore, right? We can go out and eat lobster and crab and be perfectly fine. I can eat a mupani worm and not feel guilty that somehow I've sinned against God. But the premise of what God wanted from me is still the same. 1 Peter 1.16, be holy because I am holy. He's still asking for my obedience. He's still asking me to serve him. And he's still asking me to be set apart from the rest of the world. And, and you know, I'm not dealing with which, which food I can eat or not eat anymore. But there are all kinds of external pressures in this world that are pushing down on us and pushing down on me that says, are you going to act like us? Am I going to be clean or unclean? And so what do I do? Well, I go back to the Sermon on the Mount 
What are my rules? My rules aren't Leviticus 11 anymore, but what are my rules? My rules are be the salt and light of this world. My, my rules are, are don't be angry. My rules are don't lust. My, my rules are love your enemies and pray for them. My rules are don't store up treasures in this world, but store up treasure in heaven. That every time something comes at me, that is the lens in how I filter the world around me that tells me whether I engage or not engage. So it becomes a decision of do I honor and follow God or do I choose to sit down and feast with the world? You know, when Jesus was going to the cross, here's what he prayed for his disciples. John 17, he said, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. You know, we talk about that phrase, right? Being in the world, but not of the world, right? We have to live here, but we're not to, we're not to be like the world. Quite, quite frankly, we're to be the opposite. We're to be the transformative light through Christ coming through us. And, and so as I live this world out, I'm constantly having to decide, what am I going to do? Am I going to choose the world or am I going to choose God? Will I see sin and say that is unclean and I'm going to reject it? Or am I going to embrace the world and its culture and roll around in all of its filthy swine and muck and mud? So that's an exhortation to us. How seriously do you take that command to be holy because God is holy? Maybe we just take little nibbles here and there. Maybe that's what we do. I can just have a little piece of, of, of the world. And maybe sometimes we're like, I'm just going to take a giant bite of it all. And you know what happens when we feast with the world? We find death and not life. Be holy because I am holy. Now, I, I just want to finish this off with, with answering this question, though. Why do I not have to file, follow the dietary laws anymore? Why, why is Leviticus 11 no longer applicable to my life. In Matthew 5, he says, this is Christ speaking, he says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, see, here's what happened. Christ came and he lived. And he said, I am going to perfectly follow every command of God. And he takes every single one of those laws and he says, now I'm going to die. and These laws are going to die with me. And so he goes to the cross and he says, God, I am assuming every single law of mankind and I'm going to die 
for your children. And that when he goes to the cross and he sheds his blood upon that cross, all of those laws have been fulfilled now in Christ. And he says, I finally have the one that can satisfy my loss. And then Christ gives a new law. He says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul and all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. In Ephesians 2, is, he's talking about this mystery that was to come in Christ and what that meant for, for, the, for the world and for the church and for God's people. He said, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside the flesh, the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and he preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. See, he said to the Israelites, don't eat these because you could be separate from the Gentiles. And I want the world to see that you are different because I want them to understand who I am. And then when Christ came, he said, those laws no longer apply because now all people can look upon Christ on the cross and have access to the Father. And what was separated before, God says, now it is time to bring you together. That Jew and Gentile all have access to my kingdom through the blood of Jesus Christ. And his death was a proclamation to the world that the, the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility that existed between us and a holy God was now broken. And that, that wall has come down and when we find ourselves in the love and in the presence of Christ, we now can walk into the presence of God. And so we have to see Leviticus 11 for what it is. Yes, it's a set of laws about what animals that we should eat and not eat. But more importantly, it's a set of laws about being clean and unclean, about being holy because God called us to be holy. This really is much more than that. This really is about food and faith. That for the Israelites, what they ate or didn't eat spoke about their faith in God. And you know what? the same thing for us, that how we live in this world in relation to the world of what we reject and accept is going to speak where our faith in God is. 1 Corinthians 10 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for those that have gone before us to help enlighten us to understanding your word. We thank you for the power of your spirit to give us insight to taking a passage that seems foreign to us, a passage that in a sense doesn't necessarily apply 
but Lord, you bring understanding. You've called your people then and you call your people now to be holy. And Lord, we know the pressures of this world grow daily. Every year it seems to get worse and worse. And every year, Lord, the pressure for this conformity to the world around us is upon us. I pray that we are bold to reject the world and to embrace you. And I pray that as we reject the world, Father, that we still love this world and that we are willing to proclaim the glories that is you, Father, that we live in it, but not of it, Father. God, you have called us to be light. You have called us to be sought. You have called us to be a testimony of your greatness and your glory by being different. So, Lord, challenge our hearts and our minds. What is it that we need to give up? to not live like the world does because we've been given everything in you. Amen.